I want you to think why. Why is this so much material on this particular miracle of Jesus Christ? It takes up a lot of space in the Bible. Why is it so important? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his uh, amazing redemptive ministry. We thank you for his ministry in heaven and that he'll soon come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Resurrect the dead. Gather his children together. May that day come very soon, Lord. But in the meantime, may we work the works that you have called us to do. Take part in your work. Finish this work and see Jesus come. Bless this service. Bless this, the unfolding of your word through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you have your hand in chapter 9. Now, as you look at chapter 9, we always want to say, what is a context? Every passage has a context. And if you go back to chapter 8, you'll see Jesus, I think it's in verse 12, making the claim that he is the light of the world. One of the big issues in the New Testament is, is Jesus who he claimed to be? Does he really fulfill scripture prophecy? And if, you, if we had time to go through chapter 8, which is a, I've preached on just a few verses on freedom from, uh, if, you, if you believe in the Son, the Son shall set you free. I've preached that before at Anderson Church. But the whole chapter 8 that is basically dealing with, is Jesus who he claims to be? Are his claims valid? And of course, this is really basic. This is very, very important. Is Jesus one of these false prophets? Is he somebody who is trying to deceive the people? And so the religious leaders would be on their guard against the charlatans. Now we come to chapter 9. And as we go to chapter 9, Jesus goes along. He has his disciples with him. And they see a man, and the man is blind. But it doesn't just say the man is blind. It says what else? From birth. This baby was born blind. So it adds that little phrase there, from birth. And as far as I know, this is the only, the only time that Jesus healed a blind person who was blind from birth. There were other cases of uh, him healing blind people, as well as many other people who had various uh, ailments. And also, I think I'm correct in saying that there's no place in the Old Testament where somebody who is blind, a miracle is worked by Enoch or Elijah or Elisha. No. Nobody is healed of blindness, as far as I know, in the Old Testament. So if that's correct, and Jesus does these types of miracles, then it kind of puts him in a special category. Now, of course, I know that you've already put Jesus in a special category. I'm trying to tell you, explain to you how it would be for the people who lived there in the early first 
century. In fact, before we start working our way through John uh, chapter 9, just keep your finger there. I want you to go to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. There's a number of texts that we can look at here just to get a context, just to get some kind of setting, try and feel some of the impact of Jesus and what his ministry was about. One of them is Isaiah 29, verse 18. I'd love to do a series on Isaiah, especially the last half of Isaiah. It seems that the first half of Isaiah is talking about the problems with Israel, the woes upon upon the Israelites, but the last half of the book of Isaiah seems to be so full of hope and the gospel and the good news. But anyway, in chapter 29, verse 18, it says, In that day the deaf will what? The words of the scroll. They will hear the words of the scroll. And out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will what? Will see. Go also to 35, verse 5. These are just a few texts in my study Bible on the blind or the deaf seeing or hearing. It says in verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 35, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then finally, chapter 42. Now in chapter 42, the heading in, in the Bible in the pew here, this is on page 1124, is called the servant of the Lord. And I want you to think on who is this servant? Because sometimes when it talks of the servant, of the servant, it will, you'll think of the nation of Israel. Sometimes you may think of somebody like David. But I believe that Jesus could see himself as a fulfillment of these types of prophecies. It says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Is that emphasized in the New Testament? That Jesus comes full of the Holy Spirit. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick will he not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And in his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it. So there's one of the creation passages that some of us were talking about this morning. Who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Jesus was the only truly righteous human being who has ever lived. I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. Jesus didn't just believe in a new covenant. He was the covenant. To open eyes that are what? Blind and to free captives from prison. So those are a few of the Old Testament passages. And I think chapter 42 is an important one where it talks of this special servant of the Lord, this messianic figure, 
this enigmatic individual who would come and set things right. Now, it's true that there are, there are at least two sides to look at, two sides of the coin to look at when this person comes. There is the side where he will come as a warrior, where he will come in a very powerful way and overthrow the, the enemy of God's people. And that is the way that most Jews spoke of this Messiah coming in the first century. But there is another side, the side that's briefly mentioned here and even more so in chapter 53 where we have this humble, gentle, meek, he, uh, a bruised reed he will not break type of figure. And that side of the Messiah was really not uh, prominent in the first century. Hence, many missed Jesus, the significance of Jesus as the servant of the Lord, the, the true servant of the Lord, the true Messiah. So that's a little bit of the context. Who is this Jesus? Is he really this special one that should come? And when Jesus stands up and a special ceremony when all of the, the temple is lit up and there's a so it's like a festival of light, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he uses the I am statement from, from the book of Exodus. I am the I am. This is Jehovah who uses these statements. This is the Lord God Almighty. No wonder that got the attention of the people. What I want us to notice in chapter 9 is this work of, of God in opening the eyes of the blind is very much an important part of the Messiah's ministry. And there is no way that the Apostle John would have given us, uh, how many verses here? Uh, 41 verses, a whole, what we call verses, he didn't write in verses, a whole chapter. This must be a very prominent and important portion of Scripture to show who Jesus really was. Anyway, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, would you ask that kind of question? In your setting, in your culture, would that thought even come into your head? I hope not. I really hope not. But it was prominent in the first century. And when we study about Job and his comforters, it was prominent then, before the first century, way before the first century. So this is an old tradition that in some way, shape, or form, if people are blind or deaf or lame or sick, deformed, I mean, I don't know how far this went, then either they've done something really bad against God, they've sinned in some horrible way, or their parents have. And I even have some information, I won't, won't read it to you, but I even have some information to me where in some Jewish writings they talked about Esau sinning in the womb. That's how far some of these, these religious teachers would, would take this. So obviously the disciples, and of course this is an understatement, uh, had a lot of wrong theology. We know that from many other incidents. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. And then he kind of stops at that. 
You know, we have our questions. Job had his. Did he ever get them really answered? No. Certainly his friends had their answers, and God rebuked them for their wrong understanding of God and the ways of God. We all have questions. Why did so-and-so die so young? How could this possibly happen? And usually they're not answered. They're not answered in the book of Job, and they're not answered in this brief portion of Scripture here. But Jesus says this. He answers this way. This happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, don't read into that, that God delights to have people blind so later in their life he can do something. That's the wrong way to understand this. God want, God's desire is for us all to be born in the prime of life, healthy, happy, holy Christ people. That's what God wants, right? Right? Is that your understanding of God? Or is he some mean-spirited God who's going to do experiments on certain people? No, I think uh, Romans 8 is, is helpful here where it talks of God bringing good out of uh, a bad situation, a less than desirable situation. I'm sure it broke the heart of God that this man um, would have the stigma. I mean, imagine what that's like. Try and put yourself into some of these Bible characters. What's it like to to be blind constantly. Are you, are you going around squinting? Because we will see in this story that they weren't sure if this is the right man that Jesus healed. Was it really the blind man? He looks kind of different now. Well, yes, you do look different when you're not squinting so much and whatever other, other problems there, there may have been. I was saying to um, my Bible class this morning that I read that uh, Helen Keller had a deformity by having a protruding eye. So you never see a photo of Helen Keller with this ugly protruding eye. You'll always see a profile photo of, of her. And eventually her eyes were, were replaced with, with glass, glass eyes. Well, what's it like to be in the situation of this man, blind, supposedly cursed by God, have all of this stigma, or in Helen Keller's case, blind, deaf, and have some deformity on, on your face. Pretty hard to live with, don't you think? And our hearts really go out, hopefully, to those people. Let's never, never, ever even come close to judging or mocking such people. But Jesus says this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Larry, are you here this morning? Or is he left? Oh, Larry Miller. Well, there is another Larry right here. You'll get to know him too. The two Larrys. So we need to go with Larry A and Larry B. We'll, we'll be doing that pretty soon, it looks like. But is this the time to work the works of God? Whichever, Larry. Yes. yes, it is. And Jesus realizes that. So rather than answer all of these 
extremely complex questions on the problem of evil and why this and why that, the justice of God and so on and so forth, Jesus does something about the situation. And I think there's a big lesson to be learned right there. We could, we could cut the sermon right there. And if anybody in this room loves to answer difficult stuff, it's me. I like to research, I like to try and understand, I'm kind of very inquisitive in that way as far as, as, far as God and the ways of God and the Bible and so on and so forth. But, but the reality is there's a lot of stuff we don't know, we may never know in this life, and possibly if God is good to us, he will reveal these things to us throughout eternity. And it could well be that you and I will spend large portions of time in eternity trying to understand the love and the mercy and the justice and the grace of God. Meanwhile, we have to sometimes shelve our questions and get to work. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Having said this, he spit on the ground. I won't make any spitting noises here but I'm tempted to. It's a little bit crude, just a little bit of crudeness in my mind there. Spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Why? Again, we're not told. And I haven't read anything that really convinces me why Jesus did that. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. Jesus is the one that is sent by God to come to this world. So it's kind of like a play on words there. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. What if the man had said, mud, spit, yuck, get me out of here? He would never have been healed. He had to allow Jesus to do what Jesus was doing, and then he was to be obedient to what Jesus said. It really has nothing to do with understanding. It has everything to do with doing and being obedient. Sometimes when we do and we're obedient, the understanding might come later. That does happen sometimes. So this pool of Siloam, just as a little aside here, um, what they normally, have, those of you who have been to the Middle East, when you've seen the pool of Siloam, you've probably seen maybe an upper portion of the pool, but you haven't seen the lower portion of the pool where they think that this miracle took place. In 2005, there were archaeological excavations uh, that were announced, probably been going on for some years, and they have excavated this lower portion of the pool of Siloam. And so you can get on the internet and, and read, type, type that in and, and read about that. Um, if you don't have internet access, I have material that I can give to you um, on those excavations. Does it prove anything, Sandy? No, but it's an evidence. All of these are evidences. When we can go 2,000 years later and dig dirt up and see actually this pool, uh, obviously those of us that are believers, it strengthens, strengthens our, our belief. Now, we had a young man here this morning that was blindfolded for a while and then we eventually took it off. And he says, I, I kind of feel dizzy. 
This blind man has been blind for we don't know how many years. Does it say how old he is? He must have been ecstatic. He must have been jumping around, clicking his heels, and just, just going ballistic. Everything he saw was new. He'd never seen anything before. Unfortunately, some of the things that he saw were probably not uh, the best things to see, such as these negative critical Pharisees who were going to take him on. But anyway, before we get to that, verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? So you're blind, you supposedly curse for God, and you, you earn your living by begging. Pretty tough to live with. But Christ set him free from that. Some claimed that he was. Another said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. The man they called Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Maybe Siloam was the only source of water near where they were. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. And they brought the man to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was what? So here it gets a little bit more interesting. It's very interesting up to this point, the way that John writes it. But now it gets a little bit more intriguing. Any problems with healing someone on the Sabbath? How many folks have you healed on the Sabbath? I hope a lot of people. Because if there's any day that illustrates healing, redemption, salvation, because that's what salvation means, health, shalom, when, the, when you hear the shalom word, peace, total well-being. That's what Jesus wants for all of us. If any day should represent that, surely that should be the Sabbath, don't you think? Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight, and he put mud on his eyes, and the man replied, I washed, now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So I have a question here, and it's one that we have to ask not just Seventh-day Adventists, but certainly the whole Christian community. Was Jesus a Sabbath breaker? Because this is not the only example of Jesus doing something that would be considered breaking the Sabbath in his day and age. We have numerous incidents. It seems that in some situations, Jesus specifically did some of these miracles on the Sabbath to make a point. So, probably the Jews, Jewish leaders of those days would look on not the healing so much as the problem, uh, but the, the mixing of the mud and the saliva together would be looked like kneading. Maybe that was the problem. But whatever way, whatever the problem was, in their understanding, um, they're certainly not rejoicing like this blind man no doubt is at this point in time. So here we go again. Is this man from God? That's why I took you back to Isaiah. Think, try and think of some of those passages there, especially chapter 42. Is this the servant of the Lord? Is this the prophet in, in Deuteronomy 18, I think verse 15, that, that Moses talked about? He will send the special prophet. Um, 
just who is this Jesus? And as far as the Pharisees are concerned, and of course they've seen him work many miracles, this man is definitely from God. Yes, the miracle is powerful, but hey, we have the evidence that he's a Sabbath breaker. So it can't be. But others said just the opposite. How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. And isn't that just the way Jesus is? Isn't that the way the gospel, the good news is? The good news of Jesus? He divides. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. Now, at first, this man said, it's Jesus. Now, he's making some progress because now he's saying he's a prophet. Now, I don't know what he meant by prophet. Maybe by the word prophet, he meant he's a man of God. Not the prophet, but a prophet. But I don't think it's a stretch to say in this account that this man's faith seems to be growing. And we're going to see more than just physical blindness in this story. We're going to see something much more miraculous than that. The Jews, verse 18, still didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that, you, you, that he now can see? Well, they answered, we know that he is our son. We know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know, true or false. Hmm. Pretty hard to believe. Pretty hard to believe that that's not false for me. But anyway, ask him. He is of age. They're passing the book here. They know if they say this was Jesus who healed him, they'll be excommunicated from the temple. He will speak for himself. And so his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Now, it's probably true to say, this is a little detour that pastors go on, it's probably true to say that John wrote this book, this gospel, late in the first century. If that's correct, most scholars believe it is correct, if that's correct, then he would have been aware of a little statement that was read by everyone or mentioned by everybody, like responsively, in the synagogue, and it had been amended, this statement had been amended to include the Nazarenes, a name, another name for Christians, to, be, to, be, to, to blaspheme, to to speak against uh, Jesus Christ. So they would be there in the synagogue. They would have this little brief statement that they would all make. And if you were a Christian, you couldn't make that statement. And then they would see. They would see which side you were on. And if you were caught to be a believer in this Jesus of Nazareth, you were excommunicated from from the temple, from the synagogue. What did that mean? Well, it meant different things at different times. It may mean for a, like with these parents, if they had acknowledged Jesus, it may mean that for 90 days, three months, or a period of time, that they wouldn't be able to go 
to the temple or the synagogue. But, but understand that a lot of their political and social life revolved around that. So it was a real threat. It was a deterrent to stop people following Jesus Christ. And by the way, when we read about, about um, in, in other parts of the New Testament, about Christians um, being banned from the synagogue and banned from the temple, and then we see maybe in the book of Hebrews or in the book of Acts, Christians who feel uh, pressured to go back to the old ways. These, this is, these are some of the pressures that they would have felt. Maybe you lose your job. You certainly are going to lose your social contact with, with a lot of your friends and so on. So it was, a, it was a real scary threat for some people. Anyway, verse 24, a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I what? See, it's all, you're almost reading Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound when you see a statement like that. John Newton obviously was aware of this story. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I see God here giving this man wisdom. Jesus says, look, when you're hauled before the authorities, you don't have to worry about it. God will give you the words to speak. And we see a lot of wisdom with this man here. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. Now at this point, this man has not seen Jesus. He's just seen the scornful faces of the Pharisees. He's seen the amazed faces of the parents and the neighbors. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Can you see his faith growing here? Strengthening? To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I wonder what his parents are thinking at this point. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the little phrase, Son of Man, is taken from the book of what? Daniel. I thought all Adventists would know that one. Daniel is an important book for Seventh-day Adventists, the Son of Man. Actually, one of, one of Jesus' favorite terms uh, for himself. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he did what? He worshipped him. Can you see the graduation here? Jesus, a prophet. And then defending the prophet, saying he's not a sinner. 
God must be working through him. Then finally, believing. And ultimately, if you believe, you worship. Because that is what God ultimately wants us to bring us in, that saving relationship with himself. And by the way, that is what we are created for. No animal that I've seen, though I have some jokes about it, <laughs> has ever been on their knees with their hands together praying to God. We were called, we were created in the image of God to have relationship and worship is an important part of that. He worshipped him. Now, by the way, this is another little evidence that Jesus is God. Because you don't worship a great prophet if they're just a great prophet, right? We only worship God. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Now we have a spiritual unveiling for this man. Physically, he's able to see. Spiritually, he's able to see. If you were asked which is the most important, to spend your whole life physically blind and believe in Jesus Christ, or to believe in Jesus Christ and not to see. If you had to make a choice, which is the worst, physical blindness or spiritual blindness? Now, there are a lot of people that are spiritually blind, right? So this is more than about physical stuff. This message here this morning goes way, way deeper than that. If I had to spend eternity blind but in the presence of God, physically blind but spiritually with God for eternity, it would be worth it. But to have sight for a few years on this earth and to be spiritually lost and blind would be what Jesus called hell, would be the worst of the worst. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The blind man had his eyes opened, his guilt taken away, and spiritual eyes so that he could see. Often we read in the Bible, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see. You know, these, these kinds of statements are all through, through the Bible. So what we need, you and I may not be able to be used by God to, to heal somebody physically blind, even though medical technology can do amazing things now in, the, in that area. But spiritual blindness is the worst of the worst. And you and I are called by God, just as Jesus was called by God, to do the works of God and to set the blind people free so that they can spiritually see. And as I said a moment ago, there are an awful lot of people who are spiritually blind. In fact, Paul says they're dead in sin. They're your children. They're your parents. They're your family members. They're your neighbors. They're your employers. They're your, your school teacher. We have them all around us, right? What a privilege 
to have the scales taken from our eyes spiritually so that we can see. Not a one of us has to have any guilt. It's a sweet thing to have your sins forgiven, right? You can smile at this point. It's a wonderful thing to have your sins forgiven. It's a wonderful thing to have your clean conscience and to feel that you're right with God and to have a spirit of praise because that's what happens when the blind see and the deaf hear. They praise God. Spiritually, we should be doing the same thing. But more than that, we should be doing the works of God, getting out in our society and setting people free. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just some amazing prophet who can be used by you to, to heal the sick, but he is almighty God in human form. And Lord, most people miss that. And it took the disciples a long time to understand that. Help us to understand that. And Lord, may we not just bask and enjoy the salvation that you have given to us, but help us to move out into our community. If we're fearful, Lord, take our fear away. Give us the boldness and the courage that we need, the filling and anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the willingness to engage people in discussions about Jesus Christ. And who knows, Lord, as we're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, if faith will not spring up as it did in this blind man, and belief, and then guilt being taken away, and people worshiping here at the Emerson Church, because we've shared Jesus with those who are in darkness. So use us, Lord, to bring light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.